And Jesus is all the while preparing to be the antidote, to be the solution for our sin. The one who had no sin, who became sin, that we don't have to live under the burden and the pain of sin. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Well, last year, I had a chance to go to a wedding reception uh, that was just way too much fun. Uh, You know, weddings are always fun. And then you have a reception, and then a lot of times there's a dance. And so that was the case in in this particular wedding reception. And everybody was just having a great time, and families together, and people had traveled. And it it was just a wonderful time. And, uh, of course, at a wedding reception, if you have a dance, you have to have a DJ. Right, and the DJ, you know, is there, and you're you're putting your life in the DJ's hands. I mean, you don't know if you're, especially if you're in a different part of the world, you don't know what they're going to play. And and, you know, sometimes halfway through the dance, you're going, "Hey, man, have you ever heard of George Strait? Or do you know? Like, we we want a two-step over here, all right?" Um, And so it's fine with all that 18-year-old dancing. Like, we're tired, and we need to do something else. So. Um, anyways, you're, you're, a lot's going on, and so the DJ's got his thing going, and his, his tracks are playing, and there was this perfect moment where all the stars aligned, and I had a chance. I heard a country song come on that I was familiar with, and I was really excited, and, and so my daughter and I go out there to dance, and it's just, you know, it's a lot of fun, it's, it's, and we're just getting out there having a good time, and, and I'm already just happy. I'm like, this is a perfect song for two-stepping. I'm with my daughter, so that's perfect. But then I, it was like I received the gift that I just never imagined. I mean, it was way too good to be true. As all of a sudden, my daughter starts singing along with the song that we're dancing to, saying, So I'll hang around as long as you will. Yeah, right? Okay, so you know. Anyways, I didn't do a very good job, but it's one of those songs you like. And I was like, you know that song? Because I'm here to two-step to that song. It's great that you know that song. So anyway, it was a proud moment. Um, and uh, so here we are dancing, and you know, that's, uh, that's the soundtrack. When we go to a dance, we just have certain things that we hope to hear, and, and it kind of help us go along. The soundtrack, it tells us what to say or sing or scream in some cases, and it literally keeps our steps in order, right? Without the soundtrack, we're just out there, a bunch of feet trying to keep time, and we're, it's a mess. So what if I told you that the church the people of God, that we possess a gift, that we possess a soundtrack that we've had for centuries. And this soundtrack teaches us how to speak to God, and it teaches us how to speak to God, particularly in the presence of each other. And that soundtrack, that gift that we have is called the Psalms. The Psalms. We've been singing the psalms. Our ancestors in the faith have been singing these psalms for thousands of years. And we have been singing them as a Christian church for 2,000 years. And they're just an integral, integral part of our Christian worship. 
And the reason that they continue to be the most popular way to learn how to speak to God is because they're full of every aspect of human emotion, and they teach us how to answer God, right? God always speaks the first word, always. God initiates every conversation. He reaches out to us through the Scriptures, so His Word is ringing forth everywhere, all the time. You can see it in the trees. You can hear it in the Scriptures. You can, God is always speaking, and the Psalms give us the perfect grammar to speak back to God. So this is how we learn how we talk to God. So um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Christian theologian and, and ultimately martyr uh, who was killed in the Nazi regime in a concentration camp in, in the 40s, he uh, wrote incredible works before his death, even though he was young, he, he wrote a lot and was able to really speak to a church that was in many ways asleep and numb. And this is what he said about the Psalms. He said, Wherever the Psalter, or the, the, Psalm, the book of Psalms, is abandoned, an incomparable treasure vanishes from the Christian church. So when we don't sing the Psalms, when we don't know the Psalms, an incomparable treasure vanishes from the church. But he says, with its recovery will come unsuspected power. And so sometimes we wonder, you know, it's like, gosh, my prayer, it's hard to learn how to pray. Prayer is dry. I don't know what to say. You know, I just find myself, I'm on repeat. I just say the same things. I don't even know if God's listening, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, the Psalms are refreshing because they give us new language. They're just constantly reminding us of ways that we can speak to God and how we learn together. So the Psalms are like grammar school for prayer. This is how we learn our ABCs for what it means to pray. So that's kind of the hope of this series that we're going to be going through uh, during Lent. And, and while the Sunday sermons will kind of follow this, but we're, we have daily readings in the Psalms as well, uh, which you have access to through, uh, hopefully you've gotten the emails and that kind of thing where you can uh, go to the, to the daily text. So you can uh, Google Seedbed Daily Text or there should be something in your bulletin. Uh, but soundtrack is kind of the, the theme for the season. It's, it's what we're going to be following in our midweek Bible studies. And so uh, it's just a great time to get back into the text of the Psalms, to learn the gamut of human emotion and how we, how we reach in, how we reach out, how we talk to God in the presence of one another. I think it's a great time for us to recover some lost language about speaking to one another. And I think the way that we learn to speak more appropriately and, and better to one another is by learning how to speak to God. So that's what we're going to be all about in the next few weeks. And so we're going to start today with a text, Psalm 38. So if you're someone that likes to follow along in your Bible, Psalm 38 uh, is what we'll be going through today. And the subject kind of follows the text that Kent read for us in 1 John. But Psalm 38 is a song. And just like any good song, it has kind of a series of verses. It has a flow. It has a logic to it. It has a refrain that comes out a couple of different ways, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but Psalm 38 has been categorized uh, with six other psalms in the book of Psalms. There's 150 psalms, and seven of those have been categorized over the years. They've been named the penitential psalms. And the reason they've been called the penitential psalms, and again, penitential just means repent. So it comes from that idea of, of repenting. We're moving towards God as the source of our salvation, as the source of our rescue. That's what repentance is all about. And so these particular psalms give us great language for repentance, and because they're real, they come from a real place of repentance. Because sometimes life is hard for no fault of our own, right? We just, some, things just happen. We get sick. 
pipes break. Things happen, and it's not because we sinned, right? It's not because we did anything wrong. It's just because this stuff happens. And then other times, though, we find ourselves in a predicament, and we finally wake up and we go, oh, I'm in a hole. I thought I was in a hole and it was somebody else's fault, but I'm looking at it now and I see that was all my bad. You know, I'm in a hole because I stepped in a hole and I knew better and I did it and I need help. I need a rope down here to get out. And that's what this psalm is, Psalm 38. So we're going to listen to it this way. And I kind of broke it up just to, I mean, read the whole thing and, and, and hear the whole logic for yourself. But I just broke it down in kind of simplified form and pulled some quotes just to try to, to break it down like a song. So I've got a few verses for you and a few, like a little interlude and then a couple of choruses. And so hear, it, hear the song this way, all right? Verse one. So imagine you're listening to a song and the first thing that happens is, is David who, you know, again, real life stuff. David is the confession master. He is the confession sensei. He, he knows confession so well. He gives us the language and the heart to do it. And, and confession is, in one sense, is just saying what is true. But then it's also opening the book and saying, okay, here's the part that I have to play. Just like we have to learn how, how to apologize, we have to learn the right words to say, uh, we learn how to confess in that same way. So uh, here's David. And he, he starts out, and, is, and one of the things that he says is, this is verse 1, O Lord, your arrows have sunk into me. Your arrows have sunk into me. All right, can you see that picture? Can you get a sense of what it would be like for arrows to sink in? And you can feel it's piercing, it's heavy, it's like you don't want to move, you feel paralyzed. Your arrows have sunk into me. Right, it's the verse one of, a, of any country song you might want to pick. You know, Amarillo by Morning, we mentioned earlier. It's, it's hey, I'm, I'm in a bind, right? Everything that I've got is just what I've got on, okay? There's weight there. Uh, so we're trying to figure out what's happening. The weight of what we have done and, and that, that combination and being, recognizing that we're in the presence of a holy God, it can feel like that. Like there's arrows piercing my heart, okay? There's, your arrows, God, have sunk into me. So then we move on to verse 2, and, this, and David's asking the question, why have your arrows sunk into me? What's, the, what's going on here? And he, he realizes the answer. He says, the root of my pain, the root of what's happening, I see it now, and it's my sin. I, I missed the mark. And there's, he says this phrase, there is no soundness in me. Right? I, thought I, I thought I was standing on two feet, and now that I realize what's going on, there's no soundness. Like, I can't stand up straight. I feel I'm out of sorts. There's no soundness in me. You know, to talk about like an animal being sound, a, a horse or a show animal, we mean they have no, their, their legs are all good. Everything's good. They can move freely. That's, that's what we say. That horse is sound. He's not crippled. He's not sick. Everything's good. He's ready to go. And David's saying, I have no soundness in me. He even says this, the light has gone from my eyes. You know what that's like? We know what that's like to feel that way. Like the light, I, you know, when we see people sometimes and we go, man, what happened? The, the light is gone from, from their eyes. And David says, yeah, I'm there. The light has gone from my eyes. And then we get the first glimpse of a chorus. There's this chorus that's always coming around that David comes back to as he's going through and saying, it's my fault. This is hurting. And we pick it up, and the chorus sounds like this. My sighs are not hidden from you, God. So he's saying, I, this is what I've got. 
But the good news is, you know that already, God. It's not hidden from you. So when I sigh, when I cry out, that's not hidden from you. You see me. And uh, it's, it's kind of like a, an A, B, B, A pattern. And David says, before you, God, is my desire. My sighs are not hidden from you. Right, he holds everything up to God, and he says, my sighs are not hidden from you. My desire is not hidden from you. Everything is open, Lord. You know what I want the most. You know what I thought I wanted, and that's how I ended up in this hole. And you know it all. Nothing is hidden from you. So he sings that chorus. That's a true declaration. Then he goes back to the verses where he picks back up some of the stuff that's hard. He says, okay, my friends and my family are estranged from me. I feel isolated. You know, I'm, I'm out here on an island. I'm estranged. No one, and, and that's Sin works that way, right? Sometimes we think what we're doing just in our own personal space, that it doesn't affect other people, but of course it always does. And so our, is David's saying, my relationships are broken. You know, I'm, I'm hurting here. And my family and friends are keeping their distance, and people are talking about me, and they're not sure what to do because they recognize the light's gone from my eyes too. And then we're, we're going through the verses, we got a chorus, and then we have like an interlude, which is like an, oh, by the way. David says, oh, by the way, um, God, I still have these enemies that I've had all along, and they're trying to kill me. <laughs> so life is really hard before I stepped in and made a mess, and life was already hard. And now this is the stuff that I can't control. And he's like, oh, my decisions haven't made this any easier, but God, don't forget, I have enemies out there, and they're trying to kill me, and I could always use your help with that. And so that's kind of this interlude. Uh, he says that my enemies meditate treachery all the day long, right? They're, they're looking to do something bad to me, and they are capitalizing on my mistakes. So I'm just telling you about that too, God. <laughs> that's a parenthetical. Okay, back to the song. And he comes in with another chorus, and he says, You, O Lord, it is for you that I wait. And this is a conjunction. It's like, here's all the stuff that's going on. But in the gospel and in a song that understands the good news of what God brings and how forgiveness works when we confess, there's always that but. You know, it's here I am, I'm in a situation. However, and this is the great however, and David sings it well, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. There's David again just saying what's true. God, you will answer. I know that you will. And so he moves on to kind of a verse four and says, all right, we're back here again. I own it. It's my get what's mine. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to put it out there in the open. And on top of that, I just, Lord, I want you to know I'm sorry for my sin. I recognize what I did. I have remorse for that. And then he goes back into an interlude with his enemies again saying, all right, there's more enemy stuff. <laughs> Life is still really hard. Lord, just wanted to remind you of that. I know that you already know, but I had to say it out loud just so I don't lose my mind. It's, it's really tough. There's a lot that's going on. Uh, it's hard out there. The circumstances that I can't control are difficult, and what I've done doesn't make it any easier. Then David comes in, and you know, the great thing about David, and the great thing about David as an example is this this, when you read these words sometimes and you see all this stuff, you're like, gosh, what kind of guy was this? He was, had to pray all this stuff all the time. David was not a pagan, 
right? I mean, he had some major sin issues early on and, and picked back up. But this guy knew, I mean, he knew God, and he knew how to lead people into the presence of God. He was a great poet. He was a great worship leader. He was a great warrior. And this is David we're talking about here. And David reminds us in the song in verse 20 that, you know, in this enemy interlude, he says, I'm, this is happening to me, but I follow after good. David's he knows. He's like, I know this is where I'm headed. I'm, I'm headed in a good direction, but I'm, I'm just taking account of what's happened along the way. It's like you're running a race and you're going, man, it was at mile 42. Uh, it wouldn't be me running a race that way if I was walking a race. Uh, but at mile 42, I lost my shoe. You know, that, that, and it got really hard there for a few miles after that. And we're just cataloging what's happening. And the last word of the song is the last chorus. It's, I, I couldn't, it wasn't the same chorus throughout. Sometimes in the Psalms you have the same chorus over and over again, like his love endures forever, right? Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. And it's the same chorus over and over again. But here I, we have a couple of choruses, and so they're different in, uh, in word. And so David's last word after all this is so beautiful. He says, do not forsake me, O Lord. O oh my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O oh Lord, my salvation. Right? And he's crying out. He's saying, okay, Lord, I know you're not going to forget about me. Remember me. Make haste to help me. It's okay to say make haste to help me. That means hurry up, God. I, this, is, this is bad, and I need help quick. I've laid it out. I've, I, I recognize where I've missed it, and I, I need help. And so make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. That's one of my favorite prayers, make haste to help me. And I didn't come up with that prayer. I got it from the Psalms, and it happens a lot. Make haste to help me. One of the things that I love about the Psalms is that they will not let us become fatalists. You know what a fatalist is? A fatal, we all become fatalists when we, uh, you know, just stepping on up, when we read too much news maybe, or we uh, have too many conversations with people that are just super negative all the time. We become fatalists and we just say, we throw up our hands and say, oh well, what's the point, right? Who even cares anymore? We've been stuck in our house for five days or in the pandemic, we've been stuck in our house for eight months. What's the point? Who really cares? Does anything I do matter, right? Does anything happen? And then I've been praying all along. It doesn't seem like anything changes. God, do you hear anything? And, and it's so easy to become a fatalist. Just say, oh, it's all gonna, you know, the whole thing's going down and, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. Y'all just, you know, enjoy it best you can. Hope you enjoy the game this afternoon. Whatever, you know, right? It's just, it's kind of laissez-faire that's going on. So the Psalms won't let us do that, dadgummit. And I want to be a fatalist sometimes because it's easy. Uh, but they won't let us become fatalists. The Psalms require us, they, they remind us that we have to sing about what is terrible. As if we sing about what is terrible... It helps us to not underestimate sin and evil, and it also reminds us to keep room in our song for the necessary chorus that waits for and expects God's answer, God's saving grace. We wait for God's answer, right? David's saying, God, answer me, answer me. And we know that God's ultimate answer, and this is, this is kind of the heart of the season of Lent, God's ultimate answer to our cries is not a, just a verbal word response. 
But God's ultimate answer to our cries for help and for salvation was a person. Fully God, the Son of God, who became human for us, for our sake, for love of us. This was God's answer to our problem. And so God sends us Jesus, who is without sin, and yet, Bonhoeffer reminds us of this. I mean, contemplate this. Jesus dies on a cross with the words of the Psalms on his lips. Jesus is praying the Psalms as the last words that he says on earth. Right? Into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus dies with the Psalter on his lips. He's the perfect answer. Even though he had no sin, he prays the Psalms. He sings even the ones that have to do with sin. And Jesus is all the while preparing to be the antidote, to be the solution for our sin. The one who had no sin, who became sin, that we don't have to live under the burden and the pain of sin. That's God's ultimate answer. That's the picture of God's saving grace. And that's what we trust, that's what we hold on to, and that's why we pray this thing all the way through. And we say, and we don't skip a verse, we don't skip a chorus, and we don't skip an interlude, and we get through all of it, and we wait together. We wait for the miracle of the cross and the resurrection. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.